This podcast is rated explicit. You've entered into a new world of horror. You've journeyed through its history up until this point. Join Radio Fear Macabre as we take you further through the history of horror. See the thrills. Feel the chills on Radio Fear Macabre. Radio Fear Macabre. I'm Brandon. Here's Justin. Hello. And there's Tony, who has yet to die. I'm trying my best. (laughs) (laughs) And we're in part two of The History of Horror. We left off at the 50s last time, but today we're covering the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s. This is going to be a three-parter because... As much as we'd like to get this done in two parts, uh, a lot of shit happens. Lots and lots of shit happens. Especially in this time frame that we're going to be talking about today. So, part three will start from the 90s and go on. But for today, we're focusing on the aforementioned 60s, 70s, and 80s. So, yeah. Hope everybody had a good Halloween. I sure as hell did. I took my daughter trick-or-treating for the first time. Lots of candy. Justin, the world is itching to know what did your daughter go as for Halloween. She was a terrifying... Horrific... Butterfly princess. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) But yes, it was really exciting. Uh, Went to a nice neighborhood. She got a lot of candy. She had a great time. Watched a bunch of horror movies. One of the best Halloweens I've had in a long time. I got y'all beat. I'm sleeping. Did you have good dreams? No. (laughs) Good. It's Halloween. (laughs) And not to be braggadocious, I've. I'm sorry. What was that word? Braggadocious. <laughs> but anyways, uh, got my devotion up to one on Dead by Daylight, which means I play it too damn much. I prestiged my Freddy in Dead by Daylight, and Tony went wild with his ghost face. Prestige twice, halfway through the third. In one day. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he slept on Halloween. <laughs> it's true. Other than that, what uh, what what have you guys been up to horror-wise? Like I said, watch just old Halloween movies. Halloween, you know, the usual. Watch the Chucky series, of course. New episode, really good. Fucking awesome. Can't wait to watch the rest of the episodes. Yeah. I like the direction it's going. Yeah, I still need to see that. 
last one that came out. Come on over. I shall. So, Tony, what have you been up to? Well, uh, as you may be aware, we went through the mortuary assistant, and it was fucking phenomenal, right? Did we? I don't know. I'm now questioning everything. <laughs> Mr. Riggles, did we go through the mortuary assistant? Fuck that guy. <laughs> Creepy hey, He's fun. right here, dude. Uh, he needs to not. So then what are your sentiments on Shadow Bitch? She's spooky. She got me really good. And I wish we were recording it. And I would put the sound clip of me fucking screaming my head off right here. <laughs> should, should I go ahead and start recording when we uh, bebop yes. through video games? Absolutely. Right. <laughs> fucking. <laughs> Dude, no, it was amazing. No, I scream we... screamed. Ah! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the part that got me wasn't that it got him. It was leading up to and then the result because she showed up we knew she was there yeah. i got five feet away from her and i was like what would you like me to do and he's like we're fucking here let's do it and i waddled into her and he's no, like i specifically ah! said the like, run towards her and tony's like what really i'm like yeah fuck it we're here and he's like are you sure like yeah walk towards her see what happens and so we did and then she fucking right at him and I was like ow you weren't expecting that though, were you and Tony was just saying like what the fuck were you expecting <laughs> we're here on your orders <laughs> waiting for the instructions captain <laughs> did you not expect this result would you expect her just to, just to stay in there and not do nothing? Look, okay, look, uh, I remember being in high school and our teacher telling us how frogs' brains work and they don't, like, they don't think about consequence at all. They just think, I want to jump in this water, their brains don't work. Like, if I jump in this water, I will be underwater and wet, you know. They just think, I'm going to jump here. And that's as far as their thought goes. <laughs> I was a frog at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Literally playing Frogger and Mortuary Assistant. Yeah. Fucking, what a wonderful experience. You saw um, Dark Pictures has a new game they're releasing, right? No. Yeah. Uh, this one I know that since I paid attention to them, they've put out like three or four iterations of their stuff. Yeah. And it all looks pretty good. Um, yeah, they got like a new one, I, uh, The Devil in Me, or The Devil in You, or something like that. Yeah, that trailer we saw. Yeah, and that uh, sounds dope. It looks like it's like part of its slasher, part of its supernatural. I dig that. There's a corpse a, smoking a cigarette. Yeah, there was a corpse, and like there was like pieces of the. It was like a cybernetic corpse. Like part of it was corpse, like a cyborg. Part of it was corpse. Part of it was like animatronic pieces put on them. A psy corpse. Psy corpse. That's a good word for it. And it was smoking a. How cigarette. many eyes did he have? Too. So Cyclorps wouldn't be a good one. Cyclorps. <laughs> it looks creepy. Other than that, though, Brandon, what have you been up to? I watched My Bloody Valentine, the original, and solid fucking movie. I haven't seen it in forever. I forgot how fucking good that movie is. I watched Suspiria. Great movie from Dario Argento. I watched Midsommar, yeah. Midsommar was crazy. Uh, Tony, I gotta get you to watch that with me. I want to see your reaction to this movie. I think it, I think you'll like it. Pretty wild. Yeah. All right. Friday the 13th, part six. But yeah, that's what I've been up to. But anyway, here's your horror headlines. Here's your horror headlines. 
First up on Horror Headlines, November 19th is going to see the release of two horror comedies, Ghostbusters Afterlife and Black Friday. Ghostbusters Afterlife we've been waiting for for a while, another installment in the Ghostbusters canon, not including that last one, which was sadly not that great. We don't talk about that. Last one we had was years and years ago though, right? Yeah! Black Friday is a horror comedy featuring Bruce Campbell from The Evil Dead and Devin Sawa from the Chucky series. So you guys excited for Black Friday? Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a good flick. Same here. Looks good. We get more Bruce Campbell, which I'm fucking excited about, and it looks kind of Evil Dead-y, which I'm fucking hyped for. A little bit. It looks like Evil Dead if they were using Left for Dead zombies instead of Deadites. I see that. Yeah. I'm fucking hyped for it. Devin Sawa, there's Chucky reference in the trailer. I can't wait for that movie. And... We get that and Ghostbusters on the same day. How fucking great is that? It's pretty wonderful. That's going to be a busy fucking day for me. Oh, no. <laughs> Knowing you, you're big on Ghostbusters, so am I. Oh, well, as we've discussed before, my favorite movie ever made in the history of cinema is Ghostbusters. So, of course, I'm, I'm fucking ready for Afterlife. I hope we get to... I'll see it and review it. I definitely do want to go see uh, Ghostbusters in the theater. Yeah. Also, on October 31st, we got a trailer for the Bloodborne demake to make the game look like PS1 graphics. It only goes to Gascoin, but it's releasing on January 31st next year, and I'm hype. What about you, Brandon? You have to ask. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot fucking wait. I'm fucking hyped for this. Y'all know, I love me some Bloodborne. Holy fuck do I love some Bloodborne. And I love retro games because I'm a 30-something-year-old white dude, and if I had a YouTube channel, that's what it'd be about. So, PS1 graphics on what's possibly my favorite game ever made, I'm fucking in. I agree. And while we're talking about Souls-type games, Elden Ring came out with a gameplay teaser on the 4th this month, and it finally has a release date up on Steam and other web pages, uh, February twenty fourth. It looks next really year. fucking good. It's gonna be a blast. Uh, I can't fucking wait for that game. Can't wait to ride my horse through poison swamps. I can't wait to get punched by mushrooms? Question mark. A callback. Well, now we got <laughs> potheads <laughs> stuck in holes. <laughs> I actually don't know much about the game other than it's happening and it got delayed yeah. prior because of the jump animation. Yeah. And I intend to keep it that way. I don't want to know much about the game. Well, in the gameplay trailer, it showed your character helping out a talking pot, like a porcelain pot with arms and legs. But yeah, it it does look really good from the trailer. I feel like out of all of them, though, this might have the least horror to it from the looks of it. It looks very high fantasy it's still got like a dingy look to it all but like this is the most like this is almost zelda mixed with thor it's definitely more high fantasy than than the rest of it but it's it like i said it still has that dinginess to it and george r R. martin is writing for it and from what i found out he done a surprisingly large amount of the writing he does you know like dark fantasy tones pretty well so i'm pretty excited it's gonna be hype. Dario Argento is coming back to Gylo Films. He's making a new movie called Dark Glasses. I'm excited for. Dario Argento, he's like the king of Jallo, making movies like Suspiria and Bird with the Crystal Plumage. I'm glad to see he's going back to his roots. Walt Disney Studios dropped a small teaser trailer for Hocus Pocus 2. 
I'm real excited for it. The trailer is in the form of a black flame candle with the song from the original in the background. Mm -hmm. What's your experience with Hocus Pocus? My experience with Hocus Pocus was my sister and her friend, they were obsessed with the Hocus Pocus movie. So I watched it a few times. I like it. It's a good movie. What about you, Tony? I don't remember like any of it because I haven't seen the movie since I was in like fifth grade. Sounds like I still am, right? <laughs> well, whenever you get a chance, Tony, uh, try to rewatch it. It's on Disney Plus, isn't it? Believes, yeah, it's yeah. on Disney Plus. The uh, film is scheduled to release on Disney Plus next fall, and I can't wait to watch it. What I hope doesn't happen, but it probably will happen, is that the storyline is going to be basically the same as the original. It's just going to have more current stuff going around. Yeah. I hope they don't go that way, but we'll see. Uh, Hocus Pocus Legacy sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Set to release early next year, NECA has unveiled its highly detailed figure of Bela Lugosi as Dracula. Really, really, really nice figure. It looks sexy. Uh, and it's Bela Lugosi. Can't go wrong with that. Yeah. I might get it. It might go good in my little horror den I'm putting here. What do you think about it, Tony? It looks like a very phenomenal photorealistic figure, and I like it. I like oh, yeah. it a lot. <laughs> They took a lot of time on it, I can tell. And and they've been doing uh, figures of um, the Ninja Turtles crossed over with Universal Monsters. And they got a um, Raphael Frankenstein monster and a Leonardo uh, Igor, like Frankenstein's assistant. Uh, and those look really good. They did, they did a good job on those. Uh, but Mike Flanagan... Very busy boy. Of course, he just finished Midnight Mass recently, which is an amazing series, and he's not pausing for a break or nothing. He's going straight into recreating Fall of the House of Usher, which is Edgar Allan Poe's, one of his most famous works. He's making a series of it for Netflix, and he said, uh, this one's just going to be balls to the wall as soon as it starts. There's going to be blood and chaos in this series. So I'm pretty excited for that. Sounds pretty hyped. Oh, yeah. Never a dull moment with Edgar. Dead by Daylight starting a new chapter called Crescendo. Oh, yeah, with the trickster. Yep. They're still doing the Midnight Grove event, but they also added a new tome for Crescendo, and that's basically what that is. And that's it for our horror headlines. Now on to our main topic. We're going into the history of horror, starting off at the 60s. During the 60s, the Western world saw the rise of counterculture due to the civil rights protests, anti-war reactions to the ongoing Vietnam War, and a growing generational gap mindset. People were divided, and the world was scary. And people were scary. Enter Alfred Hitchcock, a man who understood that fear of people, that fear of what lies within us all, the fear that we, we all, all go a little, little mad sometimes. sometimes. Hitchcock's 1960 film, Psycho, is a film that needs no introduction, made by a man that needs none either, even though he gives a pretty funny introduction to it in the trailer. Delving into the mind of madness in the form of Norman Bates, the movie explores the scarier side of the human psyche as it follows a deranged murderer. The film has its now problematic twist, but this important piece of horror history is representative of a growing fear of the self that would later be more commonly thematic in films to come. 
Now, Psycho was a huge deal. Very huge deal. When it came out, Alfred Hitchcock made sure to make it a huge deal. It informed the staff of these theaters to not let anybody into the screening of the movie after it has already started because there's a plot twist early on in the movie where the main actress for the film, Janet Lee, gets killed before even halfway through the movie. And so people come into the movie, they're expecting to see Janet Lee throughout the movie as the main character, but she dies early on, which Wes Craven paid tribute to uh, with the first Scream movie. Yeah, I can imagine back then how big of a shock it was to the audiences seeing that. Yeah. Kind of also on the subject of Psycho, if nobody here listening has ever seen Bates Motel, also see that. Very, very good TV series. I've actually not seen it. Ooh, it's very <laughs> good, man. Very good. It gives you a really good backstory, basically in the childhood of Norman Bates. Yeah, I, I knew it was uh, related to Psycho. Well, obviously, Bates Motel. <laughs> very, very well done series. It shows like his mother and all that mm-hmm. and how she was. But yeah, uh, this movie really explored psychosis as a scary topic within horror. The, the marketing for this movie was fucking crazy. People would be lined up around the theaters like literally making a line around the movie theater and while they're in line waiting for it there's all sorts of signs with speakers on them and it'd be like a cutout of alfred hitchcock and it'd have a speaker playing voice reels that he gave to the theaters of him being like remember not to spoil this movie to your friends and family if they want to know what happens let them come and see psycho it's detriment to the experience of this film and stuff like that so he didn't want spoilers out for this movie. This was like, he knew he had a good plot twist in this movie. I wish I would have been alive back in those days. I would have liked to have gone into the theater and experienced all this yeah. when it first came out. That would have been a wonderful experience. Absolutely. During the 50s boom of science fiction horror rose the director Roger Corman, who created several of these sci-fi creature features and alien invasion films. However, in the 60s, he would transition onto making bigger budget movies of a different theme. Edgar Allan Poe's gothic poems such as The Pit and the Pendulum and The Fall of the House of Usher. Corman quickly churned out film after film after film, primarily calling on the acting talents of Vincent Price, who got his big acting start in the 50s, but has since become synonymous with 60s gothic horror. Meanwhile, across the pond, English studio Hammer Films were also hard at work returning to the gothic genre with their spin on classic movies from the golden age such as Dracula and Frankenstein. Those were also like the rise of Christopher Lee as Dracula. In fact, because of Hammer Films, he played Dracula so much at some point he publicly said, I will not play Dracula in one more fucking movie. (laughs) But I will play as Count Dooku. Yeah. George Lucas actually hired like a lot of people that was in these Hammer films mm-hmm. to be in Star Wars. Yeah. So I think he was a fan. <laughs> oh yeah. Christopher Lee is just all around badass and he was a, he was a badass Dracula as well. In 1968, a director would create an independent film unaware that he was changing the horror genre forever. That director was George Romero and the film was Night of the Living Dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. 
shot in black and white to cut costs and filmed without a set, Romero's movie was a groundbreaking one and it served as the in-between from classic to modern horror. The film sees realistic people in realistic settings acting as people really would in their situation. No more stage performances or monologues, no grand entrances for plot important characters, just people trying to survive. This sort of thing is commonplace today, but at the time this was new. And with its different realistic style of acting came realistic visuals of death. One of the first films in horror history to show explicit and extreme gore, Night of the Living Dead, was a hard watch for a lot of the audiences back in 68. Actors portraying the undead and ripping pig entrails from fake corpses and chewing on them was never seen before, and the level of detail left a lot of people sick. Along with being the film that introduced us to the modern zombie and having the lead role played by a person of color during the height of the civil rights movement, the historical importance of this film cannot be stated enough. That is actually pretty interesting. Like, making a movie back then in the 60s, actually having a black lead actor, that... Bold. Took a <laughs> lot of balls, really. Yeah. Uh, George Romero is on record to saying that he didn't do it intentionally. He, he didn't have any specific like image in mind for who the main character looked like or anything like that. Dwayne Jones just, just so happened to be black and the best performance that he got for the character when people were trying out. Well, I like that. He picked a guy who was best suited for the job. He didn't look at color. Yeah. So that's... Well, he's on record for saying that, but he's also on record. He was asked, hey, was there any sort of like civil rights message you were getting out with this movie at the time with your choice of main actor? And he said, uh, it was the 60s, man. Everybody had a fucking message, whether we knew it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, George Romero, he was just a cool fucking guy. Really profound response as well. He was just shoot from the hip kind of guy. Um, Gorilla filming style too. I like that. Yeah. I don't think it would even have to be a zombie movie if I saw people chewing on pig entrails from dummies. Regardless, that'd probably make me sick as well. <laughs> yeah. I like, like that's e gross. Even even watching it today, you know, like with the context of when it came out, you watch it and you're like, holy shit. This, this is very graphic even I like we've seen a lot worse nowadays of course but back then back then it was crazy but even even watching it today like wow because movies back then even when they had deaths and stuff there wasn't much blood yeah not much blood or gore but uh I mean there was blood in Psycho but it was not actually, like that yeah <laughs> Jesus and the blood in Psycho was chocolate syrup what was in black and white yeah they so. were filming in black and white so uh, Hitchcock knew is like I don't. It doesn't have to be red. <laughs> nope. The fucked up part about Night of the Living Dead though is Romero was new to making movies. He fucked up on the paperwork or something in this movie. Got no rights to it after it was done. No rights to it, and the movie was in public domain as soon as it released. Fuck. Yeah. So he didn't see like a penny from this movie for years. Mm. And uh, people could just, like, play it on their TV stations without asking for any permission or anything. And that's why you see in a lot of horror movies, if somebody's watching something on TV that they were like, oh, let's put on a horror movie, what they're watching will usually be Night of the Living Dead because they didn't need permission to it. But the movie still helped Romero, and that still kind of helped Romero by increasing his fame because people knew his name was tied to it at least. 
and you would see this movie everywhere. So what he kind of it kind of set him up for success for whatever he does next. Mm-hmm. But it still sucks that he didn't get any money for this. In fact, uh, in his lifetime, that movie was never claimed by anything until after he passed away. So he didn't see a single fucking penny. No, but you know he would go on to create other movies and. They're, they're also very good, and uh, he would get paid for those. So The same year Romero released his groundbreaking film of the undead, a Roman Polanski film by the name of Rosemary's Baby also released. This film would mark the beginning of a cycle of horror films that focused on the fear of the occult and oftentimes more specifically using the oldest boogeyman in history, Satan. Satan. This would lead to some major horror films to note through the 70s as big names like The Omen, Amityville Horror, and of course, the first horror movie to receive Academy Award nominations, The Exorcist. Good fucking shit, man. Yeah. And this also was the early workings of what would eventually become the satanic panic in pop culture and media. Uh, we would see that more effectively later on down the road, but we would see a lot of movies with the theme of Satan here. want to quickly add on The Exorcist, one of the scariest movies I've ever seen also. Uh, Linda Blair, she played the little girl perfectly in that movie. Yeah. Still the image of her spinning her head completely around. Terrifying. Yeah. And a, a few things to note about these movies. Uh, both The Omen and The Exorcist are considered to be cursed movies. Like, people working on the movies would have, like, bad experiences happen to them. Linda Blair, uh, she got hurt during the movie, as well as some other people got hurt during the making of that movie. Yeah, I remember the uh, behind-the-scenes about that and talking about that. Yeah. And the curse of Rosemary's Baby would be one that it was made by Roman Polanski, who is a fugitive, still on the run from the American justice system. He moved to a different country. And Mia Farrow was the lead act in Rosemary's Baby. She was married to Frank Sinatra at the time, and they got divorced on set of Rosemary's Baby. The divorce papers was served to her on set of Rosemary's Baby while she was acting. Yeah. Because Frank Sinatra, apparently being a very controlling husband, told her to not play in that movie, or he would leave her, and she saw this as her big break, and she played in the movie. Which, honestly, probably good for her. (laughs) By the way, Roman Polanski, he's a piece of shit. What's that? And where's it coming from? Beneath. Huh. It's coming from beneath. Because we're talking about motherfucking Jaws. Stephen 
fucking Spielberg. Right. Steven Spielberg's first jump into horror, Jaws, very big deal. Fun fact, the name of the shark was Bruce. Was it? Yeah, that's what they called him, Bruce the Shark. Oh, I didn't know that. And Bruce, they said, was a pain in the ass to deal with. They was they had so many problems. Well, yeah, because it was an animatronic in water <laughs> in the ocean. Salt water, no less. Fearing the devil himself wouldn't be enough for some people, despite the insane success of The Exorcist. Come the summer of 1975, people would go from getting too scared to miss church to getting too scared to go in the water. No, really, when Steven Spielberg released his summer blockbuster horror hit, Jaws, beach attendance plummeted. And just calling it a blockbuster hit is still underselling it, seeing as it was the first blockbuster hit in history. This was the first summer blockbuster, and the first movie to make over $100 million at the box office. And this was back in the 70s. Yeah. Jesus. $100 million in the 70s. Um, Jaws was a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> a little big deal. Yeah. A big little deal. <laughs> Jaws it was one of those movies that reshaped the face of horror itself. And it's also why we get so many people attempting to make shark movies even to this day. <laughs> Damn good actors. Robert Shaw, yeah. Richard Dreyfuss. Yep. And this is what made Steven Spielberg. But now we're going to get into the 70s proper. The 70s was considered a dark time in U.S. history. After the 60s saw the continuation of the Vietnam War, the assassination of figures like JFK and Martin Luther King Jr., and the death of the hippie movement, the 70s was a time where a generation felt like they had to come to terms with the thought that peace and love doesn't work. Once again, a reflection of the times can be seen and felt in horror cinema as we entered one of the most grisly and violent cycles of horror movies, the era of exploitation. Exploitation films were films that were mostly less concerned with the plot and more to do with shock value. More blood, more gore, more sex, and more violence. Considered tasteless by many, exploitation films were often shown double featured and in specific places they called the grindhouse theaters. These were mom and pop theaters not owned by the big, you know, like AMC shit like we have today. Uh, the grindhouse theaters were where you could see films like these. And exploitation wasn't just horror. There was action movies uh, that were trying to get away with more violence in their in their films. And there was uh, comedies that tried to have more sex in them. They weren't exactly a hard triple X feature, but their unrated version would be in these in these grindhouse films. And uh, grindhouse was mostly a term. We use for like more like northern states and western states. Down here in the south where me and Justin are, um, we had the drive-in. Going into this, we enter the Texas Chainsaw Massacre by Toby Hooper. I'm gonna dance with my chainsaw. Do it. A grisly and horrifying film often thrown in with the exploitation films due to the time of its release, its tone, and its violence. 
but something is different about this film in comparison to the rest. There's a serious lack of gore, which may come as a surprise even to those who have seen it, since the film has this way of making you think or misremember that you just watched something horrifically gory and grotesque, possibly from just the tone and atmosphere alone. It's also not a film created just for senseless violence and insanity. Insanity is a theme, true, but Hooper actually created this film as an all-too-twisted depiction of his views on a Nixon-era U.S. and the crumbling, defiled state of what was considered to be the intentional norm of the nuclear family. Historically, we remember this movie as one of the big names in horror, and it definitely has its place up there with that. Uh, you've seen it, Tony. You recognize it as, like, an important part of horror history. Oh, least. yeah, absolutely. Uh... As it's been mentioned among you and I, anyway, yeah, uh, <laughs> their advertising made it seem like it was a real event that happened. Yeah, intentionally. I, I, and uh, also, its name alone, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, sounds like a, a historical event rather than the title of a movie. It's more like a newspaper headline than it was a movie title. Yeah, and that that was very much done intently because it was based off of true events loosely. Uh, with the uh, Ed Gein killings. Yeah. He was a man in Wisconsin who, after his mother died, his very overprotective and overbearing mother passed away. He went crazy, read up on a bunch of Nazi shit, started digging up graves, having sex with the bodies, and uh, making furniture out of it. He also killed a number of women and made furniture out of their bodies and stuff like that. So, uh, that was a really big inspiration to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, that'll yeah. do it. Pretty intense. <laughs> <laughs> a, a little. Yeah, that's pretty horrible. Yeah. Actually. Outside of exploitation films, during the late 70s and even in the early 80s, we would be getting remakes already of 50s sci-fi movies uh, in the forms of movies like my favorite horror movie, Alien, and John Carpenter's The Thing. That's a thing. Yeah, which, oh, I can't wait for us to cover the thing. They were doing a lot of remakes of uh, 50 sci-fi, but with that, uh, they also did a Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but with that 70s grim outlook <laughs> instead, and also the paranoia of counterculture that comes with counterculture uh, instead of the overall like paranoia of the outside, the paranoia of our own government and the inside like swapping that out instead yeah like with invasion of the body snatchers that original movie was born out of fear of outside forces coming in whereas the 70s remake was born out of fear of inside forces controlling us i think that's a valid fear yeah <laughs> if the thing came out more recently uh I feel like contextually it would be really hard to grasp that people were talking about a movie because people nowadays will say like, oh, we're doing the thing now. Or like, <laughs> have you seen the thing? You're referring to a random thing that they spoke about prior. Just how our <laughs> so, lexicon has changed into that. Yeah. yeah. Are we talking about the thing or are we talking about the thing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you probably, we'd, we probably will see a new the thing. But oh, would it definitely. be called the thing? Do you think the thing would be the thing, or do you think the thing would be called something else? 
things. I don't know. Things. Depending on how you look at it, maybe you would call it Bird Box. Huh. Or yeah. Quiet Place. Quiet Place. Uh, films like that where it's a non-descriptive monster. You know, the thing didn't have a specific shape either, but it was less we can't comprehend it and more it's always changing. Like Romero in 1968, we find another independent director working on a film in 1978 that would change the face of horror itself, unbeknownst to him. John Carpenter came into the world of film wanting to make and be known for making westerns, but it's pretty rare you start as a director doing exactly what you wanted to do, and he found himself having to make a film about babysitters being murdered. This oh, is... how life turns us in certain directions. <laughs> <laughs> in John Carpenter's case, it worked out for him. I think it worked out pretty well for him. A little bit. <laughs> made a few, made a few bucks here and there. Yeah. This is when Carpenter gave us one of the most important films in the genre's history, Halloween. <laughs> You already know. <laughs> Having to make a horror film, Carpenter wanted to make a tribute to Alfred Hitchcock, one of his favorite directors. Drawing inspiration from Psycho, he wanted to create a very real type of fear and, and feature the monster of his movie to just be a mentally unstable man. But this one's silent, almost devoid of the humanity that separates him from the paranormal and fantastical monsters before him. But insane enough to be a monster in his own right, Carpenter didn't want him to feel like a person despite being one. He wanted him to be vague, emotionless, just a shape. <gasps> a shape. To further his tribute to Hitchcock, Carpenter's choice of leading lady was Jamie Lee Curtis, none other than the daughter of actress Janet Lee, who starred in Psycho. Nobody on the set of Halloween knew how big the film would be. To all of them, it was just a small, independent horror film that was just a stepping stone. Then, when the movie released to critical acclaim, they began to realize what they've done, and that because of their work, horror would never be the same again. That their film would birth the rise of a new cycle going into the 80s. The prime time, we enter the 80s where slashers reign supreme. Due to a mix of the 70s popularity of exploitation films, Halloween's influence, and the growing number of serial killer cases happening in real life, it was the perfect storm for the slasher to be born. <laughs> this is where the 80s goes crazy with slashers. You get your your um, Friday the 13th. You Jason Voorhees, man. You, you get your Nightmare on Elm Street. You Freddy Krueger's. You get The Burning. You get Sleepaway Camp. You get Chucky. You get Chucky. You're messing with the wrong dog. <sighs> Nothing like a strangulation get the circulation going. But yeah, this is the era of the slasher. What do you got to say about it? Fucking 
love slasher movies. Uh, this was really the first genre that uh, I fell in love with. Got got the hooks in you. I got the hooks in me. Me too. Love them all. Love Child's Play. Love Friday the 13th. The list goes on and on and on. The rest and on. of the Halloween movies that came yes. out in this era were pretty bad, except for Halloween 2. <laughs> Subjectively. Ah! No. <laughs> your opinion. They're just bad, man. Not How, my opinion. Halloween 5 and 6. Well, your opinion's wrong. All right? Ooh. <laughs> I agree, 5 and 6 sucked. Yeah, but I mean, we got Leprechaun here. Yep. What's some other? Uh, my Bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. I already said Prom that. Night. Prom Night with Jamie Lee Curtis. Terror that. Train. This goes on and on. You can go on for ages. The the boom of the slashers was pretty nuts. As soon as like 81 81 was like a, a brush fire of slashers. Slashers upon slashers. Yeah. But the 80s wasn't limited to being known just for slashers. A lot of some of the best horror movies that we ever had came from the 80s and not within the slasher genre. Like The Shining, which was a film adaptation by Stanley Kubrick of uh, Stephen King's book by the same name. And of course, Stephen King, around the 70s and 80s, was when he was making his big debut as an author of horror. He made a lot of spooky shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like his book, Pet Cemetery. Sad movie. Yeah, It, Salem's Lot. Which got turned into a miniseries for TV, uh, as did it. Cannibal Holocaust, which was credited at least to being our first found footage film, which would be the subgenre for movies like Blair Witch Project and Cloverfield, stuff like that. Paranormal Activity. Yeah. I have not seen Cannibal Holocaust. I need to see that. It's on Shutter. Joe Bob does a special on it. Nice. Uh, we get. The ghost movie, The Changeling, which I love that film. That's just, that's just a, a really good ghost movie. It's very, very sad. Um, An American Werewolf in London. Very good movie. Uh, I love American Werewolf in London. Uh, I think when I first saw that film, I played it back and watched it again like three times. It's a good fucking movie. Oh, yeah. Back to back to back. Poltergeist. Yeah, Poltergeist. Steven Spielberg's return to horror after doing movies like E.T. The scary clown underneath the bed. Fuck that clown. <laughs> that shit was scary. Fuck. Yeah. Really? I'll let you talk about this next movie. Oh, just me? I mean, we'll talk about it together. Okay, well, uh... Who are you gonna call? Ghostbusters! If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who you gonna call? What are we going to call him? No, Tony. I told you to never make that fucking joke again. Uh, my favorite movie in the in the whole wide world, Ghostbusters. 1984. Great fucking movie. Next year. Great fucking movie. Next year we got Hellraiser, which I didn't mention in like my, my uh, honorable mentions in our first episode. Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. Practical effects in that movie are just to Pardon. die for fucking love that movie especially in the opening scene where he gets ripped up by the chains oh god my my favorite scene in that movie is when he's forming back together yes i that the practical effects in that one is just super impressive i i love that scene 
Uh, we also got The Lost Boys, uh, vampire film. It's really good. I've never seen it. Really? No. Oh, it's on Shutter. Okay. George Romero's Day of the Dead. It's another historically important film. The Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. Tony, The Evil Dead. The Evil Dead. Movie. You can't steal my trope of acting like he says groovy every other sentence. That's that's my that's my shtick. Yeah, we've already spoken the praises of how important Evil Dead was to the horror genre. Uh, Reanimator, which is a film adaptation of an H.P. Lovecraft story, um, really really good movie. It's uh, it's kind of it's got a lot of comedy to it, and it's a horror movie. And they they hired uh, stage actors. Uh, from plays to be in that movie. I've not seen that movie either. But Jeffrey Combs played as Herbert West in Reanimator. Great fucking film. Yes, definitely watch that when you get the chance. That's the 80s. Incredibly wild time for horror. The 80s. It's mostly commonly referred to as the Bronze Age of horror. I can understand them saying that because just on the sheer amount of very well done horror movies. Yeah. Horror icons, franchises starting. Yeah. Who could blame them? It, it was an explosion in horror. And it all started with Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 80s was rock and roll for, for horror. The 80s were fucking awesome, man. <laughs> Thriller! Music. Michael Jackson uh, pays tribute to the horror genre in the 80s with his hit single like one of the in the best selling albums ever uh with thriller the song is literally saved in the library of congress yes it's that important to our pop culture history yep so that's going to that's going to be it from us on this episode and this part of the history of horror the 80s are crazy man and it's just going to get crazier from here that's it from <laughs> us at radio fear macabre say goodbye guys Goodbye, Goodbye, guys. guys. Klaatu, Verata, Nikto. Good night, everybody. The Tales of Terror throughout the ages isn't over, but still all things must come to an end. Tune in next time for part three of the history of horror. For those who stay, there'll be plenty of surprises and non-stop action on Radio Fear Macabre.